Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome, friends, to another r slash nuclear revenge video. Today, we've got a crazy story that resulted in OP having to go into hiding. But first, make sure to hit those like and subscribe buttons down below so you never miss any of my daily videos. Our first story is the revenge of my former life. I read a story on here a while ago that made me feel like I should tell what happened to me. I don't know if this qualifies as nuclear revenge, but here goes. For reasons that will eventually become obvious, this is a throwaway account, and I haven't used any real names. I've changed a lot of the details of the story, but I try to keep the critical things intact. I'm not trying to be arrogant or full of myself when I say this, but I did very well in school, like the top of my class well. There was one other guy in my school who I regularly competed with, but by the time we graduated, there was a considerable gap between us. It's not as if he wasn't smart enough or lazy. He had two friends who weren't at our level academically, but they may have well have been joined at the hip. One of them, who I'll call Jock, was an all-star athlete. He was the complete package. Football, basketball, track, and varsity all the way. And a top-tier bunghole. The other one was the class president, Mr. Affable. My daddy has connections that make Verizon look like a telegram company. I'll refer to him as Smirk. My rival was the brains of that trio, so I'll refer to him as Books. Books was a petty son of a gun and would often devise ways of using his latest second-place ranking against me as a reason to harass me. Jock was usually involved in either physically accosting me or holding me down while Books did something humiliating to me. Smirk was never directly involved. It wasn't a good look, but they watched from the fringes, never lifting a finger to stop them. This went on until we graduated, and I took the first scholarship out of town to get as far away from them as possible. I'm an analytical, detail-oriented introvert, so I went for the only career that made sense. I became a CPA. I was good at it, and I worked harder than anyone else I knew. I had reconnected with a girl from school over social media, and we hit it off pretty well. We decided to get married, so I went home for the first time since leaving high school, but she moved in with me because I wasn't going to stay there. I was working for a large financial institution when the market collapsed. We had a good life. To be more precise, my wife had gotten used to the good life. We had a nice house, my children went to good schools, and we could afford vacations away. My wife didn't take it well when things became very tight. She hadn't worked in years and wasn't willing to get a job to help out. She said that because I was the man, I had to provide, and since I wasn't doing it, I wasn't a real man. I was sure that she was going to leave me because we were weeks away from losing our house. Then one day I ran into books. I hadn't seen him in 15 years, and I bumped into him at the lowest point of my life. That made our meeting even worse, as he was actually very decent towards me and invited me to lunch. His life was on the uptrend, which became apparent when lunch was at a place only my clients could afford. He and Jock had gone into business. Jock was using his reputation from having a semi-decent sports career to get clients, while Books was running the company. He actually apologized to me for how he treated me, and asked if there was any way he could make it up to me. 
I didn't want anything from him. A nice lunch and an apology wasn't going to change the past, no matter how much he had changed. I made the mistake of telling my wife about the lunch meeting, and she jumped on my neck, saying I should call him and tell him that I needed a job. I said no, but after a week of her camping in my ear, I gave Books a call and said if he knew anyone looking for a CPA with my experience, I'd be glad for just an interview. He got quiet for a moment, and then asked how I'd feel if we did an interview right then and there. It turns out their CFO had died a few weeks ago and they'd been struggling to replace him. The former CFO was actually his dad, and the reason they couldn't replace him was because there wasn't anyone they knew that they could trust. Books trusted me and said that he talked to Jock, but he was sure they could take me on. He got back to me the next day and said if I was willing to start that week, they'd cover our moving costs and put us in a company house until we were settled. My wife practically pushed me out the door saying she'd handle things. She sold her house at a loss and packed up our life while I moved back to heal my childhood traumas. At least that's how my wife saw it because she knew everything those guys put me through in high school. When I arrived, I was immediately put to work. Jock and Books were running the kind of business that allows them to import and export things as well as manufacture products. So there are plenty of legitimate reasons for the company to be doing business internationally. If meeting Books again was awkward, meeting Jock again was just plain weird. He didn't apologize or anything, but he rarely made eye contact with me. Luckily, he wasn't around the business much, so I didn't have to deal with him often. Their business was doing well. They had a few good clients, and there was a steady stream of contracts from the state coming their way. I got a very nice salary, and we were able to get a house that was better than the one we sold. That first weekend when my wife arrived, we were invited to a dinner party with Jock and Books, as well as their wives. It was as if my wife had died and gone to heaven. These people had money, in-house chef's kind of money. They spent the whole night telling us how much we were going to love it, all the yacht trips and wine country visits we were going to go on together. I really wasn't into all of that, but my wife was happy and she made friends with Books and Jock's wives because we were spending a lot of time together. As much as I hate to admit it, after a while they became my friends as well. Our history just vanished over the course of a year. That in itself was not a reason to see red flags. I was glad to be a part of a clique, and so as far as my personal life was concerned, I was pretty much blind to reality. But after a year, there was one red flag I never picked up for which I completely take the blame. Accountants and pimps have a lot in common. We have a unique dress sense particular to our profession. We're surrounded by women who despise us but still depend on us. And most of all, we spend the majority of our time calling people asking them, where's my money? In the first year of working for Books and Jock, I've never had a client that paid late. Every single one of them paid on time. A lot of them even paid early. That was a major red flag. There is no legitimate business under the sun that doesn't have clients who don't pay them late. And after more than a decade of doing books, it's something you plan for. The first month I got there, I was so relieved to just have a job. I just thought we were having a great month. The month after that, I thought it was luck. By the third month, I'd moved into a new house, bought a new car, and had been having such a good time that I didn't recognize the anomaly. I'm ashamed to say that even after a year, I didn't pick it up. But there's parts of every professional's job that they do automatically because it's ingrained in them. For me, it was my annual KYC and PEP checks. 
Because we were dealing with a lot of international clients and we had contracts with the state, I had to make sure that we were still coloring in the lines as far as our financial transactions were concerned. A KYC is an anti-fraud and anti-money laundering procedure. It stands for Know Your Customer. Banks and large investment firms use it to make sure that the Nigerian prince they're dealing with is actually a Nigerian prince. PEP stands for Politically Exposed Person, which means that the person you're dealing with is either a family member or are themselves a politically connected person. People like this are at a higher risk of bribery and corruption, so dealing with them is a cautious affair. The reason I ran these checks annually is that sometimes international companies might have a change of ownership, like a private factory suddenly becoming a state-owned enterprise. Then our dealings with them have to change financially in terms of our reporting, because it's not a good look if we're buying two-way radios from the Chinese government and supplying it to the state for their security guards. When I started the process of running the checks, red flags rained from the sky. The first flag was that the KYC or PEP checks done when our clients were onboarded were bogus. Book's dad was not incompetent in the least, he was also a CPA, and the records I got when I took over were immaculate. So I couldn't think of a reason why he would be so sloppy. So I discreetly began doing checks on our business as well as our clients. Apart from the state, almost all of our other clients were subsidiaries owned by subsidiaries. And that included ourselves. We were owned by some of our clients. Jocks and Books Company were part of a group that they owned along with one other person. The moment I figured out who he was, I knew I was in deep trouble. Smirk had made good use of his daddy's connections and managed to become a member of the state legislature. He then used his influence there to get fat contracts for the group of companies him and his buddies own. The problem I was stuck with was that I didn't know who was on the other end of these businesses we were dealing with. At the very least, I suspected we were dealing with fraud and corruption. Every other evil imaginable was on the other end of the spectrum. Of course, as life would have it, all of this was the least of my concerns. My wife had gotten very used to this life and her new rich friends, so there was no way she was going to give it up willingly. But I had to be sure. I knew that she talked to the other guys' wives about everything, so I had to be very circumspect about what I was suggesting. I took her out to a nice dinner and just generally talked about what we'd been through and how lucky we were to have ended up where we are. I told her that even though we were much better off than before, I sometimes wished for a simpler life, maybe open a small practice. She did what most women do in situations like this. She ignored me, but keep pressing the issue. I start saying how I wasn't happy anymore and that I wanted my own thing. I didn't want to work for somebody else for the rest of my life. She looked me in the eye and flat out told me that if I quit this job, she would leave me. She said that she didn't go through all the trouble of getting me this job just for me to take her back to being poor. I had no idea what she was talking about and I couldn't have cared less that we were in public. But I politely reminded her that I was the one who went to school and became a CPA. I got this job because I was qualified for it. That's when she dropped the bomb. After I left town, she and Books dated for a while, but they still remained friends after they broke up and kept in touch. So when we were about to lose our house, she asked him to help me out with a job and even told him where he could bump into me. She set it up so that I could have this job and as far as she was concerned, she earned at least half of what I was making. 
That was all I needed to hear. I knew that she was going to tell books about her conversation, so I just waited for that call. When it came, I was ready. I met with Books and Jock at one of their houses and told them that I was hurt. I said that even though we had put our past behind us, it felt wrong that they were leaving me out of the bigger part of the business. I explained that I was simply going through the business due diligence when I found out we were part of a group. I said that since they didn't want to include me in the bigger business, I thought it was best if I went and started my own thing to be my own boss. There is one thing you can count on in life, and that's greedy people thinking that other people are as greedy as they are. They immediately saw this as an opportunity to get me willfully in their pockets, so they offered me a stake in the large business. With what I had in mind, I didn't want to be a part of this sinking ship, so I decided to reward my wife for her generous role in getting me involved with these people. I suggested to her that I didn't want her to worry about her future in case something happened to me that I wanted her to have the best life money can buy, so I suggested that she be the one to have the shares in the group. She was more than happy, and her ex-boyfriend didn't object. We put up the house as collateral to buy into all the companies, and the loan was to be paid off with the dividends from the shares. Once all the paperwork was finished, I started the hard part of my scheme. I'd use the intervening months to gather as much information as I could about who our clients actually were. I was both glad and terrified about what I learned. Terrified because these were the kind of people who make politicians disappear. But glad because it meant that I would justify my actions when the time came. Now here's a free lesson in accounting and fraud. Human beings are imperfect. Even with the best software in the world, people pay late, make mistakes, and even display catastrophic incompetence over the simplest of things. So remember this, if you ever come across someone's books that are perfect, I mean absolutely perfect. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Storytime is sponsored by BetterHelp. Nearly everyone at some point in their life will struggle with their mental health, whether that's something stressful at work, in a personal relationship, or something else. I know that I really struggled with anxiety in my early 20s and therapy was a massive help for me. That's why I'm a massive fan of therapy and today's sponsor, BetterHelp. If there is anything in your life, big or small, that is negatively affecting you, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. 
It's an online therapy service that after finishing a small questionnaire will match you with a licensed therapist where you can book appointments that match up with your schedule at any place or any time. And if you feel like you're not bonding with your therapist, you can switch at any point for free. Also, therapy isn't just if you're struggling with mental health. If you're looking for guidance or ways to improve your social skills, life, or relationships, it's a great judgment-free way of doing that. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com StorytimePod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash StorytimePod. They're cooking those books. Book's dad was smart, and he knew this, so he intentionally allowed mistakes and errors to appear in their books. But once I knew what the game was, it was easy to see what was going on. They had set up a group because they needed to shield the payments that they received and made. Let's use the two-way radio example again. Let's say they were getting those radios from the Chinese government who was using a company that used to be a private entity but is now state-owned. The one company in the group would then sell it to one of the other companies in the group, which would sell it to a third, who would then sell it to the state. That way, the state can claim that they source their product from a local business that sources their things from another local business. This also hinders the money that the state paid for those radios from being traced back to the Chinese government. Awesome! Now that I had access to all the accounts of the group, I was able to make direct payments from the first receiver to the end user and vice versa. So if the state paid us for a contract, instead of running that money through two other companies before it got to China, I paid it straight to China. I did the same for a lot of the other unsavory characters that the company was dealing with. After I'd done a few of those transactions, I began sending anonymous tips to the authorities telling them to examine some of the transactions that were taking place. What I had hoped they would begin to notice is that the state paid $500,000 on Monday, and then on Tuesday we paid $500,000 to a company owned by the Chinese government or some other nefarious organization. We all know that there's nothing truly anonymous these days, but I made sure that there was some way to trace the tips back to me. And once again I waited. I honestly expected to be arrested and then have the whole thing blown wide open and in exchange for immunity, I would testify against all of them. Instead, I got a lunch invitation over Facebook from a friend from college who was in town. I show up at a restaurant and the waiter tells me which table to go to while I wait for my friend. No big deal. I wait, but they're not showing up. Just as I was about to message them, some guy sits down and puts a badge on the table and tells me to greet him like he was my friend. That was the last thing I was hoping would happen. I knew that even if I gave them all the books and records, it wasn't going to be enough. They were going to want more, and that's exactly what he asked for. He basically threatened me saying that even though I made the tips, I was also the one who made the payments without the KYC and pep checks. He even used the T word. He said that they could prove that I funded terrorists. I was just the CPA. There was no way I was getting in the room where the deals were being made. This was also not worth dying over, so I negotiated. It was a terrible deal, but it was the only one with the best chance of me not going to prison or ending up in small pieces in a box. Now, Smirk was no genius, but he was smart enough to not have any direct ownership of any of the companies in the group. Those shares were split four ways. The two largest portions belonged to Books and Jock. They each had 35%. The tiniest portion belonged to my wife, which was 1%. And the second biggest portion belonged to another company. 
That company was wholly owned by Smirk. That company had 29%. This gave him enough shares to reap significant benefits, but he was shy of a controlling interest, which meant that his company could claim ignorance of any of the dealings that happened in the group. My job was to get him to implicate himself in the dealings. I had no idea what I was going to do. I was so desperate that I even thought of kidnapping him and forcing him to confess. But luck was on my side and it was an election year. I realized that I was never going to get him to implicate himself, so the next best option was to get him to give up his friends. Unlike them, he wasn't in it for the money. The money was good, but he had family money. He was all about his reputation ever since high school. Going after him directly during an election season was too obvious. I started leaving tips with some of the non-local journalists about the relationships that Books and Jock had and the businesses they were in bed with. This time, I made sure to truly be anonymous. As they dug around the periphery, more and more hyenas started creeping in until the connection was made between the honorable member of the state legislature and his high school buddies. Once that happened, the guys with the badges had no choice but to swoop in and make arrests. The reason? It was going to look really bad for everyone if it became public news that public funds were being used to buy security equipment from a hostile nation's government and other enterprises involved in illicit dealings, but it gets better. Because people needed to go to jail, there had to be a trial, and the only person who had enough evidence and first-hand experience to testify was me. The conditions of my deal were still in place, and I testified. This of course led to the company going under and its shareholders losing everything, including my wife. My deal was to go into witness protection. That meant that everything attached to my name couldn't follow me, so the debt that was taken out against my house was no longer my problem but rather my wife's. This was amplified by the fact that the debt was incurred for the purpose of gaining an asset in her favor. So that bank took the house, and she was left with nothing and still had to pay off the rest of the debt. The three stooges went to prison, but they met unfortunate ends because their other friends didn't want to take the risk of them talking. I was relocated to a place where not only no one knows me, but I'm not allowed to go near anything that resembles my previous profession. All in all, marry for love, not money. Honestly, what else can you do if you get that far into this operation? And you realize what exactly is going on here. It's not like something you can just kind of just straight up leave, right? If you found out what was actually going on here, would you just try to give everything up? You know, your relationship, this job, and try to ride off into the sunset and hope it never catches back up to you? Let me know in the comments down below. And our final story of the day is revenge against my snake of an English teacher. I had a bright future. At least that's what my grades in high school indicated. I was well on my way to getting a scholarship that was going to pay for everything. This meant a lot because my family didn't have a lot. My dad had a small business as an exterminator and that was all we had to support him, my mom, myself, and my three younger sisters. I wanted to be a writer, so I started my own blog where I wrote short stories and did some experimental writing using classical writers as templates and doing spin-offs of their work. I never got any money for it and I always gave credit to the original source material. At the beginning of my final year of high school, we got an English assignment to come up with a story. This was something I could do in my sleep, and normally I wouldn't have worried too much about it. 
but my English teacher was the same one I had the previous year and he despised me. The main reason was that I was an A student in his class that never paid attention. But worse still, I'd correct him from time to time when he got things wrong. He hated me for that and was always looking for a reason to give me fewer marks. Because of that, I had to write the most impeccable story imaginable to fit his ridiculous standards. I spent weeks writing this story and submitted it confident of my next A. I got an F and I was brought before the school disciplinary committee for plagiarism. Apparently he thought my story was so good that there was no way that I'd written it. So he plugged it into Copyscape and every other plagiarism check he could find and found that I indeed did plagiarize some of my story. Some of my elements and even phrases I used in my assignment came from a blog. My blog. I didn't realize that I'd reused some of my old material, but the fact was, it was still my work. Obviously, as a teenager, I wasn't using my real name on my blog, so it looked like I'd stolen someone else's work. It took forever to convince the board that it was my blog. I even had to log in during the hearing so everyone could see that it was my work. I think he already knew that, and the moment I proved it was my blog, he fired his next shot. He started explaining how the kinds of stories I was writing were stealing from classical writers, and that this was just the kind of person I was. It didn't help that I wrote some dark and graphic stories which the committee didn't like. I had a hard time trying to convince them that I was paying homage and experimenting, but my English teacher just kept twisting what I was saying. The school board didn't want any more to do with me, and they also didn't want to have my blog and my writing associated with the school, so they found me guilty and placed it on my academic record. Bye bye scholarship. No school wanted anything to do with me. I had no choice but to go into the family business. After a few years I got the hang of it, and I was doing well enough that my dad let me go on some jobs on my own. Where I live, it was common for snakes to randomly show up at places. Most people didn't really have a problem with snakes and could deal with the small ones easily, but the bigger ones sometimes needed an exterminator or pest control to come out. One day I got a call to deal with a pretty big snake that was found in a small supermarket. I got to the site and handled the snake like a professional. On my way out I see my old English teacher. He was pale from his hair to his boots. He'd been hiding the whole time, not wanting to see the snake. Who would I be if I didn't take advantage of my enemy's deepest fear? I wasn't going to just take the snake and throw it at him. No, I wanted him to suffer. Over the next few months, I began stockpiling some small animals and other things that attracted the local snakes, as well as some non-poisonous snakes of various sizes that I found. Once I was sure that my collection was adequate, I'd drive past his house and released a few of the smaller animals into his yard. I did this routinely until I was sure there were enough of them that they'd made a habitat for themselves in or around his house. Then I started releasing the smaller snakes. He didn't have anybody living with him, so I wasn't too concerned about children. I knew that he wasn't going to call my dad's business first, but rather go to one of the other exterminators in the area. There wasn't a lot, but he had a few options. Once one of them got rid of the snakes, I'd go back and start the process with slightly bigger rodents and snakes. With the bigger creatures appearing at his house, he called a different exterminator because obviously the previous ones didn't do a proper job. I kept doing this until eventually our phone rang. When I got there, he was a mess. 
I don't think he'd been sleeping properly or even eating. I listened to him tell me about how these things kept coming back bigger and bigger. I told him to leave the house for a few days while I took care of everything. Over the next few days, I discreetly began modifying his house. I created nests for some of the bigger rodents as well as areas for the bigger snakes to stay. This included the gap between the bathtub and the floor. I had to take out some of the tiles for that and replace them in such a way that the snakes could just push them loose. I carved a nest inside of his sofa, put one behind the stove in the fridge, and a bunch of other places. He had a geyser in his roof and I put the biggest snake there, which was just above his bathroom, connected to his bedroom. I called him to tell him he could move back in after I made sure that nothing was too out of place. I don't know what exactly happened, I wasn't there when everything erupted, but from what I heard and saw afterwards, this is what I think happened. Sometime in the middle of the night, the big one fell through the roof and landed on his bed. That he didn't get a heart attack and died was a miracle. He somehow found the strength to run to the bathroom to hide, but the state that the bathroom was in when I saw it later suggests that there was some kind of fight. After that, he ran out of the house into the street screaming his head off. At least, that's what I heard from his neighbors. Apparently, he was sent somewhere with cushioned rooms and self-hugging jackets. The fact is, I never heard of or saw him again after that. I do kind of doubt that this guy was locked up and thrown in the loony bin, but I am willing to bet that this guy probably just packed up and dropped just about everything if they're that deadly afraid of snakes. Imagine it's the worst fear of your life and all of a sudden your house in every room is erupting with that fear. This dude probably just left everything behind and straight up dipped out of town. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now if you want to hear another absolutely crazy revenge story, click on that left video. Or if you missed my latest video, check out the one on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories.